Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. This year's gubernatorial race is a rematch from 2018, pitting two businessmen, Democrat Ned Lamont and Republican Bob Stefanowski, against each other for the state's chief executive position. Today, where we live, we talk to incumbent Governor Lamont. The economy, the economy will be a through line in the campaign, contrasting Connecticut from the time Lamont stepped into office to where the state is today. And while the state's surpluses continue to grow, the local labor market hasn't fully recovered from the pandemic, and many residents are feeling the impact of inflation. How will the new $24 billion state budget just signed by Governor Lamont help them? We dig into the $660 million in tax cuts offered in the plan. And coming up, we also talk about the legislative session that wrapped up and take your calls, too. What questions do you have for Governor Lamont? Here's the number, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Governor Ned Lamont joins us now on Zoom. Governor Lamont, welcome back. Good morning, Lucy. Now, before we dig in to what happened this session, talk about this new budget, also your re-election campaign, I believe you got COVID, was it a month ago? How are you doing today? I'd say two things. Yes, I, I did get COVID about a month ago. Um, and thankfully, because I was uh, vaccinated and boosted, the case was very mild. Um, that said, I took the therapies, quarantined for five days, and um, no harm, no foul, uh, back in the game. You know, a little worried today that you still see the infection rate at a, um, you know, in double digits. I think it's a bit exaggerated, Lucy, just because people with symptoms are probably the only ones really getting um tested, but I appreciate your asking. If I could just say one thing off the top, I was just shocked by the shooting in Buffalo this weekend. Shocked that this young man able to get a hold of uh, military style weapons, military style protective gear, drive 200 miles to target um, a predominantly African-American group at a a shopping center. Uh, Shocked that um, the guard there outgunned. He shot this uh, young man three times trying to protect others, but the bulletproof equipment that this kid was able to get, you know, off uh, Amazon or some such uh, media uh, protected him. And this man is no longer with us. And I hope uh, we don't get desensitized to this type of crime and what it means to our community, especially ra- racially motivated crimes. I'm sorry, I just wanted to get that off my chest. No, I thank you for that. I was going to ask you that later in the hour uh, because I believe was it this January the State Hate Crimes Advisory Council was formed. And so when we think about what Connecticut can do to protect communities of color from these hate incidents, we're seeing them fueled by supremacy movements found online. What is the role of this council and how can we move forward to protect the residents in our state? Uh, the role of the council is has representatives of uh different communities, um, off of racial, ethnic um, communities, those that feel like they're uh, perhaps most at risk, 
doing everything we can, A, to give them confidence. What we're doing is to state to make sure their communities are safe and work with them and have them work with the police, have them work with the um, mental health and uh, therapists so that we can head this off before it happens. Uh, there's an awful lot of stress and there's an awful lot of crap going on in the social media. And it seems to inspiring a, a fair number of young people in a really dangerous way. Mm. And we, you talked about you know, the fact that you know, people can still get uh, these types of weapons uh, in these mass shootings. Um, thinking about the role uh, this online uh, movements play in this, but you know, just getting back to my question, um, you know, even before uh, this particular incident, you know, I believe even during the Trump administration, you know, the FBI has been tracking the number of hate incidents rising in this country, and so there are people in our state who have uh, experienced, um, you know, slurs being used or they feel they've been discriminated against, and so you know, how do you make people in the community who've been targeted feel comfortable to come forward and also to put out a zero tolerance message in our state? For one, it starts at the top and words matter. And uh, the previous president of the United States, after Charlottesville, with all its anti-Semitic and Nazi uh, propaganda, um, um, anti-Black, he said they're good people on both sides. You can never wink at this. Uh, Secondly, I really worry about the social media. I want to make sure we're very strict on that. You know, this young man, he's live streaming and hoping he becomes a hero at the end of the day, at least in terms of that narrow group of followers he has out there. we got to work closely with the social media. And on my side, I work very closely with uh, state police and the mental health folks, state police and municipal police. Make sure we have the most diverse team of police people properly trained. Make sure you give them the, um, you know, the confidence that they deserve to keep you safe going forward. And as you probably know, uh, Lucy, we've made the biggest commitment to uh, mental health uh, we've ever done, starting with coaches and mentors and therapists right at the school system. I'm glad you bring up the schools. One more before I move on. We think about, again, uh, you know, some of the discrimination that even students uh, face in particular districts, things that are said to them, and the tools you can give schools administrators, again, to put that zero tolerance message forward, Governor. I would say the, the teachers in many cases, along with the parents, are at the front line of this. And um, you empower the teachers, give them the respect they need. These kids are bringing in an awful lot of um, junk they pick up on the internet, asking their friends what's going on, asking the teachers, let the teachers teach, let the teachers be counselors, and make sure the teachers work closely with the parents when they see something, say something. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, as we talk to Governor Lamont for the hour, again, running for re-election. Again, you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, with your question for the governor. Uh, I wanted to just well go back to COVID real quick uh, because uh, you know we heard from a listener, uh, even though we know that uh, vaccin- vaccinations are readily available, people have been getting boosted. Uh, Miriam writes that she feels we've still drifted a little with COVID. There's no mask mandate. Mandate and on Connecticut Rail or CT Transit buses, uh, mandate not enforced on Metro nor- North. She writes, no test to treat phone number for Paxlovid like New York City has, uh, or no renewing vaccinate or test mandate for state employees with cases rising and tests available. You know, how to respond to those residents who are still concerned that you know cases are rising and not everybody can get vaccinated? Well, I tell Miriam. Uh, First of all, we're prepared. We have the masks, we have the testing, we have the therapies, we have the vaccinations. Um, 
available at no charge to anybody that needs it. I'd go on to say the people of Connecticut, after two and a half years of this COVID hell, um, know how to keep themselves safe. And Miriam, or if you live with somebody um, who's older or somebody maybe with um, some type of a pre-existing condition, um, err on the side of caution. Uh, wear that mask. Make sure you get boosted. Most of us got our first vaccine, but it could have been eight, nine, ten months ago. Now's the time to get boosted. We have the ability to keep ourselves safe. Again, our number, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I talked about this budget that you just signed, a $24 billion budget. I believe you said that um, it has uh, it delivers the largest tax cut in state history. Uh, the Connecticut mayor's Keith Faniff said, quote, this has touched off a debate likely to continue through Election Day. He's also pointed out more than half of these tax cuts are one-time installments that will expire by year's end. So how do you respond? to that. And do you think in December you'd revisit that some of these should be continued? Well, A, I'm happy to have the debate. Usually we're sitting around, oh my God, what taxes are we going to have to raise or what um, uh, spending are we going to have to cut? We're doing just the opposite right now. If uh, C.T. Mira wants to say this is the biggest tax cut in Connecticut history or a close second, um, that's a debate I'm happy to have. It is the biggest tax cut in state history, when, certainly when it comes to the middle class. Middle class has gotten slammed by um, inflation, as you well know. The worst tax we've got is the property tax. Though That's the one that's disproportionately high, Lucy. That's the one that hits you when in good times and bad, whether you got a job or not, when you're on a fixed income. And uh, so there we wanted to reduce the property tax on your home, reduce the property tax on your car, get rid of the income tax on your um, pension, get rid of the income tax in your 401k. So those folks on a fixed income can uh, be, do a better job of getting through this COVID time. And why doesn't it uh, just go forever? You know, much of it does, but some of it doesn't. And I didn't want to do what every governor of my predecessors do, which is leave us in a big cliff in, say, uh, 2024 and say, hey, governor, you fix it. I want the people of Connecticut to know we've got a budget that's balanced, not just today, but for the foreseeable future. Look, there are some storm clouds out there. Um, I think you see some potential recession in the next uh, year or two. And I want to make sure Connecticut's ready. We can protect our services. We know that uh, residents are uh, facing the impacts of inflation today. My husband uh, sent me a picture of, of cereal at CVS uh, for $8 a box, which is pretty ridiculous. So, so when we think about you know some of this relief helping uh, Connecticut residents and it needing to come sooner rather than later, you know, could you have done more uh, in terms of uh, tax relief? I know you said that you didn't want to, to overstep, but when we, when we think about people's budgets here and the impact on on, on their families? Uh, yes and no. I, I could have done even more than the biggest tax cut in history and paid down less of the pension. Uh, I could have done more um, on the biggest tax cut and done less on mental health or less on affordable daycare. But Lucy, the governor is to choose. You have to make choices. And at the end of the day, I have to present the legislature a balanced budget. I think we got a pretty good balance there. As Minority uh, Leader uh, Vincent Candelora said, these tax quotes were a bumper sticker. How do you respond to that? A bumper sticker that will mean um, hundreds of dollars in immediate savings to uh, middle class people right now. And uh, no offense, legislature, but you guys have been there for years. And all I ever hear about is how our pensions are going through the roof and nobody knows what to do about it. Let's tear up the contracts with the state employees. 
you know, I'm the first governor in the history of the state, not only to make the contributions to the pension fund, but also reduce the obligations and, um, you know, saving of $5 billion. You know what that means, Lucy? That's going to save uh, taxpayers $440 million a year for the next 25 years. That's going to allow us to maintain the commitments to the people of Connecticut. You can join our conversation if you have a question for Governor Lamont, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. When we think about um, the surpluses that continue to grow, uh, thanks to savings, of course, but also uh, the stock market, uh, all of the federal aid that Connecticut received, how much federal aid is unspent today, Governor? And what are your priorities in allocating that? Uh, we used a lot of what they call the ARPA federal money, which goes uh, for another, um, you know, two plus years in terms of uh, extra support for our municipalities, extra support for our schools in particular, make sure we get apprentice teachers and counselors in our school. You know, on the other side of the equation, we're getting from the infrastructure bill, uh, which I think is incredibly important for our state because we have 100 year old roads and bridges and railroad tracks. Uh, That's about a billion dollars a year over the next five years, and it could be transformative for our state. I really believe that we can take 10, 15 minutes off your commute in each direction over the next uh, three, four, five years. Again, our number, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, at Where We Live. You mentioned the roads. Anthony tweeted that you had a great December 16th executive order directing the DOT to set a target for reducing vehicle miles traveled by 2030. Uh, Wants to know five months later, what's the target? And why is the state DOT still starting interstate widening projects? Uh, Excellent question, Anthony. We got two targets. In less than 10 years, we want our electric grid to be carbon free. We're already well past halfway there. We're one of the leading states in the country when it comes to reducing carbon emissions related to the electric grid. But to Anthony's point, we got a long way to go when it comes to transportation. We're still a fairly car dependent state. So we're slowly moving our automobile fleet and our uh, buses and our moving people to rail, but most importantly, when it comes to cars and buses, moving that to all electric as well, a non-carbon producing. I want Connecticut to lead by example, and it's not good enough for Connecticut to do this by itself. So we're doing much of this alongside you know, New York, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, California, setting an example for the rest of the country. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live as we talk with Governor Ned Lamont. Uh, when we think about uh, this uh, budget and, again, the more than $660 million in tax cuts, I understand there's some disagreement uh, that you and some Republicans have with the Democrats over the child tax credit and the expansion of child care programs, you know, worrying about you know, overspending on the state's revenue cap. Can you talk about this? Well, it's, it's all solved. Um, I felt very strongly the legislature had set the rules of the road for themselves back in 2017. And one of the most important pieces of that was a spending cap and a revenue cap to make sure that when revenues are really strong, we don't spend it all and leave a cliff in the next year or two. We've been very strong, kept to those guardrails, and the uh, legislature has kept to their word. At the same time, um, I agreed 100% with the legislature and uh, the amazing Beth Bai. Uh, probably the biggest commitment we made that in mental health was daycare and childcare. And I'll tell you why. I did it because A, it gives our kids 
the very fairest shot at the starting line of life and allows mom and dad to get back to work. Everything I'm about over this next four years is make it easier for you to get back to work and to keep our economy going. And our daycare expansion is a big piece of that. When we think about um, children uh, and birth, uh, we know that the racial wealth gap in Connecticut is among the worst in the nation. There was this ambitious program signed into law last year It's been called the Baby Bonds Program, so long-term investments for babies whose birth was covered by Husky, the state's Medicaid program. Uh, But uh, I believe three weeks after the proponent of this program and the state treasurer, Sean Wooden, announced he wasn't seeking re-election, the program was unexpectedly delayed by two years. And so uh, why is your administration uh, supporting this delay? Why was it needed? Uh, Well, again, Lucy, you got to make choices. Um, And for me... Affordable housing, affordable daycare, investment in a workforce, these are things that pay benefits today for um, folks, uh, young and old, who otherwise could be getting left behind in this economy. I want to make sure we can make a difference for them today. You know, baby bonds is a nice idea. If you had more money, that means they'll get uh, $20,000 or so when they turn 18, 18 years from now. I want to make a difference in people's lives today. So explain that to me more uh, for, you know, we think about the rainy day fund as $3 billion. I understand there's another, I believe, $4 billion in reserves. And so when we think about all this money that, that Connecticut is sitting on, yes, we have long-term um, uh, liabilities, the pension fund, but thinking about helping, uh, again, figure out a way to minimize this racial wealth gap. If this was a program that could help people, uh, you know, when they, you know, need to pay for school or maybe you know, start a, uh, you know, and get a mortgage, you know, why can't Connecticut be a leader there? We are a leader there. Um, you know, we provide the greatest expansion of um, uh, support to help you get to school, um, you know, ever before. So people aren't denied based upon wealth. You know, we put in place the greatest workforce development. So you're, you're a kid and thinks this is what I'd like to do. We have 150,000 jobs out there close to it. And we're having a hard time filling, Lucy, because we're not trading people. You want a job in advanced manufacturing, take a 20-week program, which will pay for you. And you graduate from there, you could be getting $60,000 plus good benefits um, within 20 weeks or so. I want to make a difference in people's lives. I think a good paying job is the best way to deal with that racial inequity. And with this delay in baby bonds for another two years, you know, there's no guarantee that, you know, the money will then be allocated for it. And so, you know, if you're reelected, is this something that you're willing to commit to in another couple of years, Governor Lamont? It's something I'm willing to commit to discuss with the legislature, you know, because they've set in place a bonding cap. We talked about some of the guardrails. So if they say, Governor, I think we ought to take a little money away from uh, affordable um, housing and do more on baby bonds. Maybe that's something we have to listen to. If they say, I want to do less about, um, you know, scholarships to help kids get into a trade school or college, and I want to do that on baby bonds, uh, something I would listen to. I think, you know, my instinct, though, Lucy, is do things that make a difference for people right now. Again, you can join us eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven seven as we talk with Governor Ned Lamont uh, seeking re-election. Uh, he is the Democratic nominee for governor. You know, just uh, three months ago, we spoke to his Republican uh, opponent, Bob Stefanowski. We hope to invite him back before November. But let's take some listener calls now. Again, the number eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven seven. Christine's calling in from Danbury. Christine, what's your question for the governor? Uh, Mike, thank you for picking up my call. 
Uh, I'm, my name is Christy. I'm calling from Danbury, and I work as a CNA, and we help this vulnerable population who are elders, and we don't get paid enough, and we are working really hard. We are getting shortage of staff, and a few of us that work each day, we are getting so tired, and people, the CNAs don't want to work anymore. So uh, the I'm asking governor is, can he increase our pay a little bit, uh, maybe tell our bosses so we can be able to pay our rent and to provide food for our family uh, with the little pay that we have, please. Thank you, Christine, for your question. Governor Lamont. No, thank you, Christine. Um, we got to do more. There's no question about it. I think we had... Um, one of the largest increases in pay for um, working families in general, and in particular caregivers, uh, the state has seen double digits over the last uh, couple of years. I think um, we've learned during this uh, two years of COVID and all the talk about essential workers, there's not really a correlation between how essential your work is when it comes to taking care of people and uh, what the pay is. Uh, we've made a good start over the last couple of years, and we're going to keep going. Mm. So when we think about some of these facilities that CNAs uh, work at, you know, often owned by private companies, so what can the state do to compel them to pay these uh, staff like Christine more? Lucy, we gave, um, you know, nursing homes and others, um, the biggest increase ever. And we said we want this predominantly to go to pay and subsidies so more people can take advantage of the service. And we hold them accountable because we regulate them. You know, they are private companies, as you know, so uh, we can't manage this uh, directly. I will tell you, look, um, I paid a, a bonus to a lot of state employees who showed up every day during the worst of COVID. I tried to lead by example, and I'd like to thank... Um, you know, those that um, are employed are nurses who stepped up every day ought to do the same. Again, you can join our conversation with Governor Ned Lamont. He's here for the hour. Here's the number, 888-720-9677. We're going to take a short break and be back to take your questions. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. 
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. It's campaign season, and today we kick off occasional interviews with candidates before Election Day, starting with the Connecticut gubernatorial race. Our guest today, Democratic incumbent Governor Ned Lamont. What questions do you have for him? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at where we live. Thomas is calling in from Salem. Thomas, what's your question? Hello, uh, thank you for taking my call, and I, I uh, thank you, Governor, for, I think you're doing a phenomenal job. I've lived in this state my entire life, and, and I talk to many retirees that can't afford to live in Connecticut after they retire. I don't want to leave Connecticut, and um, I was recently in Michigan, and I, I uh, saw that they had the same problem, that seniors were leaving, and, and they... Uh, made a maximum $5,000 uh, property tax uh, on all seniors and also their pension and uh, um, Social Security uh, taxes were waived. And that kept the seniors, which, which are a huge voting block, um, and it kept them in the state. And I'm wondering why we can't do more for the seniors in this state. Hey, thank you, Thomas, and good question. Appreciate your comments. Um, first of all, what we have done for the seniors, as you probably know, is uh, you know eliminated the estate tax for probably a 98% of them. That was a reason for some folks to uh, think about moving out of state. Secondly, as I mentioned before, we've eliminated the income tax, especially when it comes to uh, pension and 401k. So uh, for the vast majority of seniors, there's no great tax reason to go from one state to another. Um, you know, sometimes that warm weather gets pretty appealing at a certain age, but um, you're absolutely right. I want our seniors to be here in this community. I don't think you have to watch your uh, grandchild grow up on Zoom from Delray. I'd like you to be able to do it from your home. I'd like to have more um, downtown housing, single units, condos, make it less expensive and easier for you to be able to maintain um, a facility here, a place you don't necessarily have to mow the lawn or do all the upkeep. These are the type of ways we're trying to uh, make it easier. Um, we got to do more on the property tax, but it's the first real property tax cut this state has seen in a long time. Make a big difference, I hope, for seniors. Again, you can join us, Governor Ned Lamont, our guest here on Where We Live. The number 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Lorna is calling in from New Hartford. Lorna, go ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Governor Lamont. Um, and yes, you are doing a wonderful job. Thank you. I'm just wondering, what are the plans for the state building affordable housing? Uh, the cost of rents for my three children are astronomical, and they cannot afford to buy a house. They're all in student loan situations. So I wonder, affordable housing, are there any concrete plans to start building them? Thank you. Hey, thanks, Lorna. And if you were raised in Great Britain, welcome. I'm glad you're here in Connecticut. That's wonderful. Affordable housing, as I said before, is absolutely key. Um, it's key, as I was telling Thomas, in terms of our seniors. Let's say Amazon was looking at the state of Connecticut. And one of the things they said was, you got some nice um, housing out in the suburbs, but it's pretty pricey. I'm trying to get housing for um, 20-somethings. That's how I'm going to be able to get my uh, company growing with that type of talent. So there are a lot of really important reasons to get our housing um, 
up, uh, you know, I strongly believe we ought to do this locally. Um, I'm trying to give our local towns and municipalities all the incentives they need to get more housing, especially in the downtown areas, especially near, um, you know, transit. I think that makes an enormous difference. We're putting our money where our mouth is to get this done. It's a jobs issue, and it's a, a fair decision in terms of letting our seniors stay in the state. Mm. I know you've mentioned on the show before uh, that you think it's a local decision, and you mentioned the state trying to offer more incentives to get local towns to build more affordable housing uh, for young people. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering when we keep talking about uh, locals having you know, more of the control and how that limits the amount of affordable housing projects that even sh- show up in towns, especially in Fairfield County, Governor Lamont. Uh, yes and no, um, Lucy. I would tell you we've got an awful lot of NIMBY, not in my backyard, but, but we also have some uh, YIMBY. Uh, yes, in my backyard. So we have more housing being built, for example, in Stanford and Norwalk and even in Bridgeport than we've ever had before. But I think every town ought to do its fair share. Um, look, I'm down here in Greenwich and um, we pay a big premium because our teachers, our firemen and our cops can't afford to uh, live here. So you have to pay an extra premium. And that's not good for a community either. You want the people who work in your community to be able to live in your community. So uh, they're in the process of putting together a five, 10 year plan to show exactly how they are going to get to their uh, 10% affordable housing obligation. Mm. It's interesting you listed some uh, some of the cities uh, that that have uh, um, projects uh, going to offer up more affordable housing. Obviously, you know, companies are attracted to cities, but for people who don't want to live in the city but want to find affordable housing, say in New Canaan or, or Darien, you know, shouldn't you know what can we do as a state to compel them to build those affordable houses? Whether it's multifamily homes or uh, you know apartments that you know that can people can afford. Board, Governor Lamont? Well, for Darien um, is building uh, housing right now in the downtown area. Much of that is affordable. Uh, and they're no longer subject to any of the incentives. For example, there's the 830G program. So you can exempt yourself from that. All you have to do is show us your plan and how you get to um, more affordable housing in the near term and the long term. So I think it's working, but to be blunt, it's not working fast enough. It's hurting our um, economic opportunity. And uh, you want to know why you have extraordinarily high price of housing? Because for the last 30 years, we haven't built housing. That's less about NIMBY, more because a lot of people just weren't looking at Connecticut. But they're looking at Connecticut now. They want to move to Connecticut. Let's make it easier and more affordable for them. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, as Governor Ned Lamont uh, joins us for the hour. Sheldon's coming in, calling in from Woodbridge. Sheldon, go ahead. Hi, Governor Lamont. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'm a retired dentist, and I always cared for people. And I get the impression that we don't care for people enough today. We talk about the economy all the time, and it's extremely important, and we have to get people upwards bound. But I'd love to hear your take on all the lies that are professed and all the hate that goes on in this country right now from from uh, some of the right-wing radio stations and people. It's just driving me crazy. It's not the America I grew up to love in the 50s. I'm in my 70s, and I, I'm really distraught that I'm in a bad company country right now. And I'll just listen to you, Governor. Thank you. Well, I'll be a little more optimistic than that, Sheldon, but I am shocked. 
I am shocked with the level of discourse uh, you hear coming from Tucker Carlson and others. There's a racial tinge to it. Uh, I'm shocked that more people aren't standing up and saying, this is wrong, this is not America. Look, my parents were old-fashioned Bush Republicans, to be blunt about it, and this was not their Republican Party either. They really pulled things uh, way to the right. I, I will say, uh, as a uh, retired dentist, um, people have convinced me loud and clear how we had to make sure that uh, dental care was a basic um, right of each and every one of our citizens. I remember down there in New Haven, people lining up for you know hours on end at six in the morning back when dentists probably like you were providing the free service on an optional basis. Now we're making sure that we reimburse and it's available for all of our people. Again, you can join us 888-720-9677 as we talk with Governor Lamont. You know, to Sheldon's point, you know, a lot of uh, some of the rhetoric uh, that is being said in our country, even in our state, is not true. And, uh, you know, there have been calls, especially since the murder of George Floyd, for more people to call out uh, racism when they see it. And that's how we can move forward. But there's also this rhetoric that we're seeing in uh, communities across our state, even around the topic of critical race theory. We've seen it uh, come compound in certain communities. We've seen it impact school board meetings. So what can our state do uh, when we think about how this conservative playbook is also still alive and well in, in blue Connecticut? Speak up. I mean, I, as a young person, I know when your friend says something that's um, racial or homophobic or anti-Semitic, there's sort of a tendency to just look the other way because you don't want to get involved in something. Uh, get involved. We need people to step up. Uh, I, I'll tell you, Lucy, I, I was really honored, um, I don't know, six weeks ago, went to Israel, went to Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Memorial uh, frankly, I was the only wasp in the group and, and walking through, I was devastated. Each and every one of those victims of the Holocaust had a face and a heart and a story. And as I walked out of there, I just remember some of the CRT, critical race theory people are saying that, hey, you're making too big a deal out of the Holocaust or you've got to teach both sides of the Holocaust. Really? What is the other side? I don't know what that is. I'm speaking up. Uh, Lucy, you're speaking up. I'm glad to see that um, others are as well. We just got to remind people how important that is and get off the social media. There's more hate field rhetoric there, and it's tough to uh, shut that down. I believe there's a particular PAC uh, that is making critical race theory a campaign issue. You know, how are you prepared to respond? That's you know, really sad that there is a... Um, a pack out there with a million bucks and they're going to um, take away a woman's right to choose. They're going after, um, you know, gay rights and CRT in general. Um, I, I'd like to think the people of Connecticut, A, know me, know my heart, know where we're at. I've got to stand up every day. And to be blunt, I need um, you or more importantly, because you're a journalist, your listeners to stand up. And when they see something like this, when they hear something like this, don't let it go unsaid. When January 6th happens, don't just say, oh, gosh, it was a bad day. Hit it hard. That's not America. And that type of insurrection is wrong in our country. It's not going to be tolerated. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, with Governor Ned Lamont today here on Where We Live. Jim and Bark Hampstead. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, good, uh, good morning. Thank you for this show. Governor, thank you for your leadership for the past several years. You've done an awesome job. Thank you. I'm growing uh, increasingly concerned about the teacher shortage that seems to be looming in Connecticut and wondering what we could do to 
to uh, stave that off. Thank you, Jim. Um, let me take an extra 30 seconds on this. Um, we have a shortage of workers across the board. And that's everything from daycare providers to nurses to therapists, and as Jim says, teachers, uh, construction workers. We're going to be doing a billion dollars a year of construction. And um, I think my number one priority over this next four years is to make sure we get people back to work and make it easier for them to get back to work. You've heard me on transportation. You've heard me on workforce. Another thing I think we want to do is make it easier for a teacher to get in the classroom. Maybe rather than spending three years at a teacher's college and aggregating all this debt, and then you go into uh, the classroom and you got to start slowly paying it down, cut the amount of time you're paying tuition um, you know, to a teacher's college and expand the amount of time you're an apprentice in the classroom. You're earning money instead of accruing debt. And let me tell you, we need those apprentice teachers in the classroom right now, taking care of kids, um, a lot of whom were stressed out after COVID. And I'd like to think that 90 percent of them are going to be there. Uh, for the long term. And finally, just respect people for the work they do. There's a lot of folks who are the teachers and um, they just are coasting nonsense. They're the most important folks in our society. They're the folks that are generating, um, educating the next generation of talent. Look them in the eye and just say thank you. When we think about the burnout that educators have experienced, I know uh, New Haven is short 100 teachers. There's protests in that city to, uh, for the need for funding, uh, mental health support. Is this a priority for the state? I'd say it is. I mean, uh, near term, we provided um, $500 million extra a year to our schools across the state, um, making it easier for them to start hiring now and, and put in place uh, what they need. Uh, we're putting in place some um, clinics in um, you know the overwhelming majority of schools, clinics that can take care of not just a bee bite, for folks who need a little bit of a, a shoulder to lean on, some confidential counseling. I mean, you can't put everything on the shoulder of a teacher in the classroom with 20 students they've got to manage. But when you think about the conditions in the classroom, as you just referenced, and earlier your point about making it easier to get back to work, sometimes it's not just that. It's also people's pay, and they want to be paid more uh, for the work that they're doing, uh, for them to continue in these, uh, these, these positions, Governor. How do you respond? Yeah, pay matters. I mean, um, we, we put in place the first $15 minimum wage a few years ago. It almost seems a little quaint now, Lucy, in the sense that um, restaurants really can't hire even at $14 or $15 an hour to get the people there. When it comes to teachers, they've had a significant increase in pay, comma, they, they should, because we provide money to the um, superintendents. The superintendents make the call on how much of that goes to the teacher or other services within the classroom. But right now, they have the resources to do it right. And the work has got to pay. I mean, I, I made a deal with the um, state employees. It was about a four and a half percent a year for the next three years and a, and a bonus for this first year, really. And um, I'm having a hard time hiring people. I'm having a hard time. A lot of people think, oh, these state employees, boy, they, they really have a heck of a deal. You kidding? I'm losing folks at the Department of Transportation every week. They're going to some consulting firm that pays them a 40% more. Then the consulting firm leases them back to us and we pay a premium. So you bet. We're making sure that work pays. I want you here in state government doing the people's work. Again, Governor Ned Lamont is our guest here on Where We Live. We'll continue taking your calls after a short break. Here's the number, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. 
You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. My guest today, Democratic incumbent, Governor Ned Lamont, here to take your calls as well. The number 888-720-9677. We've been able to talk about uh, the budget that you signed as well. We've heard from listeners who are pretty supportive of your first term, uh, Governor Lamont. But I wanted to touch on some scandals within your Office of Policy and Management from the firing of the former deputy secretary over a federal investigation into hiring practices to complaints filed over the alleged mistreatment of his boss, Melissa McCaw. Can you tell us why she ended up leaving so abruptly? Did you lose faith in her at OPM? No, I think uh, very highly of uh, Melissa. We worked together closely. She, um, she always said we had a very good relationship and I reciprocate. Um, she came out of uh, Hartford. They had a bankruptcy. She inherited a state that was on the edge of what could have been um, something similar. We had a $3.8 billion deficit. I said, Melissa, uh, no pressure, but I want you to get this budget balanced. I want you to balance it honestly, and I want you to balance it without um, any tax increases, no broad-based tax increases. And by the way, I got it presented by uh, uh, early January. So uh, she got the job done for that. I'm very thankful. She did have a deputy to OPM. The deputy was, um, I had to dismiss him. There was just some alleged conduct that I found absolutely unacceptable, and he's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned, uh, again, uh, Costa Diamantes, uh, who ended up, uh, you said you said you dismissed him. He says he resigned. But on school construction issues, this is something that the projects that he led, he was the gatekeeper. And so should there be some transparent accounting of the condition of these schools? So one man or politician, uh, so no one man or politician determines what gets funded versus a need? This is from our investigative reporter, Jacqueline Rabe-Thomas, Governor. Look, I think so. Um, You know, more importantly, we got um, school construction back to Department of Administrative Services. Um, We were going through each and every one of those school construction things um, with a fine tooth comb, going to hold people accountable. We actually have 100 auditors in the state of Connecticut. They do the same thing going over each and every one of these as well. I've got to do everything I can to give people confidence the money's being well invested and for me, it's more important than ever now because there's some federal money coming in, especially when it comes to transportation. I can't have a lot of people saying, oh, my God, everything's corrupt. Don't don't let them do it. I want to show that we can invest this money appropriately and make a difference for the state of Connecticut for years to come. Before I take some more calls, I had referenced uh, complaints filed over the alleged mistreatment of Melissa McCaw. What can you say about that in terms of, you know, how uh, members of in your administration are treating uh, women, especially women of color like Melissa McCaw? Uh, Well, let's start with the fact that we have more women and more women of color in our administration than any administration in history. That was incredibly important to me. We worked together very collaboratively. Hey, look, it's sort of tough sometimes. You don't always agree. People can go back and forth. Um, But I'd like to think that overwhelmingly we work together very well as a team. And I'd like to think that people in Connecticut could look up at our administration and say, that could be me someday. There's somebody just like me up there. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677. Rich is calling in from Vernon. Rich, go ahead. Yeah, hi, Governor Lamont. The first thing I'd like to do is say I think you're doing a fantastic job, and uh, you got my vote in the fall, and I wish everybody would see that. Um, One of the things I have a question about is criminal reform, and um, it's a few-part question. Do you know that 98% of people on the sex offenders registry aren't working? Do you think that's a good thing? 
Um, and is it cost-effective, and does this program even work? I know it's been under um, investigation, and the legislators is thinking of doing something about it, but every time it becomes election year, it seems to be a off-subject. Thank you, and I'll take my answer off the air. Hey, uh, thank you, Rich, and appreciate the, um, the comments. Um, a, we did um, the most significant crime bill and criminal justice reform um, in a long time. The crime bill, we did this on a really bipartisan basis, for which I am uh, very thankful. Uh, to be blunt, especially when it comes to young people, um, I'm doing everything I can to um, intercept what could be bad behavior, dangerous behavior, and get them on the straight and true, give them the support they need, give them the uh, treatment they need, uh, give them the job opportunities they need, give them some hope uh, before they go another direction. And that's um, what we've tried to do in this criminal justice bill, along with adding on more police on the beat. Uh, your question was specific to sex offenders. Um, you know, obviously that's a much more complicated issue, um, uh, but I do believe in second chances. So you gotta be very careful with this category of individual in terms of type of work they do, where they could be. But is it a lifelong sentence for something that happened at the age of 17? I hope not. Again, uh, you can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live as we talk with Governor Lamont. Uh, Nita's calling in from New Haven with a question on the car tax. Go ahead, Nita. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I actually moved to Connecticut uh, from, from Washington, D.C. for a job in 2020. And I was surprised um, when I got my property tax bill on my car. Um, I bought a new car when I moved here as I didn't have a car before in D.C. And I paid a tax, I registered my car, and, and then there was this property tax assessed on my vehicle. And I guess my question was, um, you know, it just seems like a regressive tax on middle-income and low-income people um, are there, you know, any considerations to um, maybe eliminating that tax like the neighboring states um, don't have that tax? And Thank you, Nita, for your question. Go ahead, Governor Lamont. Yeah, good question, Nita. And, um, good move. Moving up from Washington, D.C. I like to hear that. Look, um, the car tax stinks. I, I, I admit that. Um, we've re done the first significant reduction in the car tax in many years. Uh, it's easy to say, why don't we just get rid of it? Okay, if I get rid of that... Um, how do I make that up? Uh, you can raise taxes a little bit on houses. Uh, we've given a lot of support to our municipalities. I'm really pleased that over and above what we did on the property tax cut and the car tax cut, overall mill rates across the state are going lower, uh, making the state just a little bit more affordable right now. I'd like to think what we're doing on the car tax cut this time, which ought to save you a few hundred uh, bucks starting um, you know, this summer, we're just getting started. We just have a couple of minutes left. You know, I wanted to mention, you know, there are a number of lawmakers who announced they'd be leaving after this session for financial reasons. I think most people know it's a part-time legislature. And uh, if you don't have another job uh, like a, an attorney, it can be tough uh, to be a legislator. Uh, you uh, self-financed or self-funded your 2018 uh, campaign for governor. I believe you're doing that again. And so, you know, what can you say to uh, people who maybe grow frustrated? at, um, you know, the, the barriers for people who can't self-finance at Governor Lamont? Well, I don't think they're leaving the legislature because of the um, cost of a campaign. Um, we, we have one of the most aggressive public financing systems in the country. And uh, 
Uh, I, I do think that um, being a part-time legislator, trying to hold down a, a job at the same time you're doing what was we thought was a part-time legislative job is becoming increasingly full-time is very complicated for a lot of people. You know, the good news is we have a lot of turnover, and I think that's good. I don't think we need this to be a lifelong career. Bad news is I think some people are leaving for the wrong reason. Um, you know, Matt Ritter and Vinnie Candelora, the Republican Democrat in the House, got together, got a raise for our state legislators up to, I think it's $40,000, first raise they've gotten in probably 20 plus years, trying to do a little more to make this some a balance that people can then maintain. Do your civic duty as a legislator and also take care of a family. And you mentioned uh, they're not leaving because of the, the, the campaign finance part. Well, we did talk with Senator Haskell. Um, you know, he did mention that, you know, the financial reason is one of the reasons, you know, he's leaving uh, the General Assembly. You know, again, encouraging younger people, people who may not uh, think about becoming politicians uh, to want to be in the public service. What more can we do, Governor? There's some truth to that. I also point out that uh, my great friend Will Haskell has a beautiful fiance in New York City. So I think there's a variety of reasons why um, he's stepping back at this point. Um, you know, you want to know what I would do? I, I think um, we've learned over the last couple of years that you don't have to be in the building every day for every single vote and every single hearing. I'd make it easier for our legislators to do more remotely. That allows them to keep a good paying job without totally interrupting the entire day. Probably the leadership and the chairman ought to be there if there's an in-person hearing as well as an online hearing. I'd give a little more flexibility in this day and age. That's Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont. As usual, we've run out of time. We've still got a lot more to ask you. We hope you come back soon, Governor. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Katie Pellico. We'll be back tomorrow.